This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Coming up on today's show, it is Municipal Election Day in our province. We'll get you all set up on what you can expect from Global News' team as we break down our coverage ahead. Real estate agents caught on hidden camera breaking the law as they try and steer buyers away from low commission homes. And do we already have in place what we need to regulate Facebook? Can you regulate Facebook? You can, but maybe not in the way we're thinking. We'll have that chat. Municipal Election Day in the province of Alberta. The polls have been open for about a half an hour now. They stay open until 8 o'clock tonight. And as always, if you are in line when the polls close, they won't turn you away. Okay? So as long as you're in line by 8 p.m. tonight, your vote will be counted. You'll get a chance to cast your ballot and everything will be fine. Uh, polls close at 8, so make sure you're in line by then. If you want to head out and vote, it's pretty simple to do. Take some ID with you. If you have a driver's license, you're set. You need something that has your address on it. That's the bottom line. So they can prove you actually live in the area where you're casting your ballots. That simple. Might be the odd protocol in place because of COVID. Some plexiglass could be up. You will have to wear a mask. You do not have to be vaccinated. That's not a qualifier. You will have to wear a mask. They might ask you to distance a little bit. Just the same thing that happened with the federal election. So it shouldn't be that bad. Polls open now. Stay open until 8. Coverage kicks off at 8 o'clock on Global. Various different platforms, radio, internet, television, got it covered. We're going to chat now with Vinesh Pratap, who is co-host of Global News Morning in Edmonton and is involved with election night coverage as well. Vinesh, thanks for joining us this morning. Appreciate it. Hey, Shay, how are you this morning? Really, really good. Um, You're ready to go tonight. You kick off at 8 o'clock, right? Your involvement is hosting a roundtable, right? Yeah, yeah. We have three special guests that will be providing analysis through the night, and uh, I'm really looking forward to the conversation. So um, on the uh, show tonight, uh, we're going to have outgoing Council Michael Walters. He served two terms um, at uh, City Hall here in Edmonton. Uh, we have Catherine O'Neill. She's currently uh, with the YWCA of Edmonton as the chief executive officer, but a lot of people will know her uh, background. She's been heavily involved in politics before, and she's also uh, been pushing to get a more women uh, elected here in Edmonton. Um, and the third panelist will be Panita McBrien. Uh, she is the executive director with the Downtown Business Association. And just like in you know Edmonton and Calgary, you know, uh, the debate about downtown is yeah. fairly significant and what needs to happen. Um, and council, the next councils, they will play a big role in that. Yeah, ab- absolutely they will. Now, as a guy who's covered City Hall for years and years and years, you know the ins and outs of council more than anybody else. I'm wondering, we're going to see a tremendous amount of turnover on councils right across the province, Vinesh. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, new mayors in, in most of the major centres and a lot of new councillors. What do you think that's going to mean going forward? That's It's a pretty steep learning curve, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be, they're going to have to get going right away. You know, uh, after new councillors and mayors are elected, you know, they have the ceremony, the breaking in period. But because there's so many issues right now, um, you know, the, the, the ceremonies will stay pl- uh, still take place, but they're going to have to get going right away. Uh, like I said, issues related to the economy, COVID, 
Um, you know, climate change, everything is on the table, and there's going to be a lot of pressure for them to act right away. So, and then with that, uh, there's, you know, there, there's going to be these new councils. They're going to have to establish some kind of relationship with the provincial government. Yes. It's, it's well known that, uh, you know, the, the UCP have not had good relationships with the outgoing mayors of Edmonton and Calgary. It'll be interesting to see you know, what these next councils, what type of relationships they're, they're able to establish with the UCP. What do you think about turnout? That's always a question. And municipally, we do terribly. Our turnout is always very, very low. Do you think, I mean, having that vacancy in the mayor's chair, I think will drive more people out to the polls, right? Yeah, I'm, and I'm really hoping so because, sorry, here in Edmonton, uh, I was just looking at the stats this morning. The the in 2017 voter turnout was 32.5 percent. Yeah, um, and that was with Don <laughs> Iverson. Everyone knew he was running again, so maybe that kept people at home. And so, with a brand new mayor, uh, both in Edmonton and Calgary, let's hope for a greater turnout. I don't think people realize the the significant role that city halls play when it comes to how. Our cities are shaped, not only, you know, in, within the term of council, but for generations to come. Like, they do make significant decisions that impact the outcome of a city. So whether it is successful, whether it struggles, uh, you know, whether it's taken to the next step. So it's really, really important. I encourage everyone, even if you haven't done your homework, go online. There's so much information available. Look up your ward. Look at the, the candidate profile. See which one matches your your kind of vision, your idea of what you want your city to be, and go out and vote. You know, I, I did the advanced polls. Yep. Uh, you, you were mentioning uh, some of the protocols in place and everything like that. It was a small lineup. It took about 20 minutes, and you were basically in and out. And, uh, yeah, you had your say. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned big picture with councils, and you're absolutely right. It shapes the future of the city, but it also affects what happens day to day in your life more than any other level of government. I mean, these are the guys that make the decisions that will mess up your commute. Um, they bring in transit. You know, if you're going to have a rec center built in your community, all these things. It's really the most direct form of government we have. It's always surprising that we don't have more people turn out. You know, yeah, that's a very good point, Shay. I'm going to use this example. So uh, a couple of months ago, there was, a, there was a bus stop in my community, and there's a garbage can next to the bus stop, right? Yeah. And so the garbage can was overflowing for days. I called the city. Nothing was done. Nothing was done. Finally, I called out the city on social media and it was only then, you know, something was actually done. But that was just that was a basic service yeah. and it wasn't being fulfilled. Uh, you know, it fell through the cracks for, for whatever reason. But it's those simple basic services that are at play in this election and especially in the bigger cities, because with the, the, the councils in Edmonton and Calgary, there is a lot of pressure to pick up the slack on social issues, which really technically fall outside the, the mandate of municipal councils. But there's a lot of pressure for citizens to, to see city halls take up, take up those social issues, but then the resources aren't in place. And so if resources are redirected, yeah. does that then take uh, have an impact on the basic necessities that they're supposed to be fulfilling, like garbage pickup? Absolutely. It is, uh, it's probably the most important election that we have, but it gets overlooked by a lot of people. We'll see what mm. happens with turnout, and uh, we'll be tuning in tonight to see your coverage, Finesh. Good luck. I'm sure it's going to go great, and uh, we'll tune in tonight at 8 o'clock. Awesome. Thanks so much, Shay. You bet. That's Vinesh Pratap who is co-host of Global News Morning in Edmonton and will be part of their coverage tonight. Uh, once again, coverage goes 8 to 11, um, commercial-free, 
We're going to carry it for you online. It'll be on the radio, um, and it'll be on television as well. So there's going to be a tremendous amount of coverage. The times may vary, and there could be subtle changes to your program. For example, uh, from 10 to 11, there'll be a one-hour radio special in Edmonton hosted by Jalen Nye. Uh, going through that. Uh, and then, of course, the uh, 11 o'clock news will pick it up after that. So lots happening. It's going to be a busy, busy night. It's going to be an interesting night. And I think it's going to be more exciting than typically a municipal election might be where, you know, a lot of the outcomes are foregone conclusions. Things are wide open, extremely tight in the race for the mayor's chair, if you believe the polls in Calgary. Not quite as close in Edmonton, but still, There are so many different polls out there saying so many different things. I don't know how much stock you can put in, but we'll see. We'll see. That's why you go out and cast your ballot today. As I said, coverage in Calgary uh, will include Dallas Flexog, who is morning host in that city as well. And she's going to join us after a short break to tell us what she's working on and what she's watching as we go into municipal election 2021. We'll be right back. All right. Election day in the province of Alberta, municipal elections. Uh, And Wayne in Spruce Grove says local government is incredibly important. Agreed. Municipalities provide hundreds of services, including many that we use every single day. Also, as one who's been elected eight times, the candidates elected for the first time will face a tidal wave of learning. It'll be their most intense learning period they have ever seen. And there is no doubt. And in many cases... Um, They lean on the veterans who've been there before to sort of help them learn the ropes and and get them through the first weeks and months of their job as new counselors and and all the rest, because there's a lot going on. Um, But even in that regard, the pressure is really going to be on the handful of people who remain on council, because there's massive amounts of turnover right across the province, including in Calgary. So let's get some insight on what we're seeing uh, in this election day and what we'll see for election night coverage down in Calgary. We have Dallas Flexog, who is co-host of Global News Morning in Calgary and involved in their election coverage tonight as well. Dallas, thank you for joining us this morning. Appreciate it. Hi, Shay. Good morning. Why don't we just start right there? The turnover in Calgary City Council in this election is historic, unprecedented. It's not just the mayor. As many as nine new councillors? Yes. So we only have five incumbents running right now. Uh, We have 14 wards, so that leaves nine up for grabs. Uh, It is just unprecedented for sure because we saw three of our city councillors are now running for the mayor's chair. That means Joe Gondek. Jeremy Ferguson, Jeff Davidson. We saw George Chahal, former city councillor, yep. run for the federal Liberals, now off the table. Drew Farrell, who was instrumental back in 2011 in getting fluoride taken out of our drinking water. She's not running again, but of course we're seeing that fluoride question back on the ballot, uh, whether it should be put back in Calgary's drinking water. And we're seeing a handful of others not running again. So this is just going to be one of those elections that everyone needs to pay attention to. You're absolutely right. I mean, more on the line than than perhaps ever before. Um, Let's start with the mayor's race. Kind of exciting for you involved in coverage, because from what we're hearing from all the pollsters, it's it's a dead heat. It's a statistical tie at this point. It could go either way when the ballots are are counted. Yeah, if the polls are right, we're looking at two candidates, right? Jeremy Farkas and Joe T. Gondek. And when you're talking about, you were talking about Dr. Lisa Young a bit earlier, talking about partisan politics. Well, these two candidates certainly are signifying that. You have Jeremy Farkas on the right, and yep. you have Joe T. Gotek sort of representing the left side of things. So this will be a true test, how Calgarians feel, 
if they decide to vote one or the other. And it is going to be an interesting night to see how this all unfolds, for sure. Now, your turnout in the last election was about 50% for municipal, which isn't horrible. Not great, though. Are you anticipating uh, a lot more Calgarians heading to the polls this time around just because there's so much at stake? Well, if you look at the advanced voter turnout here in Calgary, we were over 141,000. That's more votes in an advanced poll than in 2013 and 2017 combined. So if that's any indication, then certainly we should see some more. And, of course, historically you do see when you don't have an incumbent mayor running that you will see a few more people head out to the polls. Plus, we have all of those councillor seats up for grabs. But we also have all of those extra ballot questions, right? Yeah. Is that going to interest people to go out to the polls? Is that going to scare some people away, not knowing that, you know, if you don't want to answer them, you don't have to? Uh, your colleague, Ted Henley, yesterday was saying, you know, I really, really want to see the numbers of how many people left some of those questions blank. I don't know if we're going to get to see those numbers, interesting, but it's yeah. interesting to see for sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how the breakdown will be if we'll find out or if we'll just get percentages. But that's a good point because, and, and we should stress that because we get asked that all the time. If you don't want to vote on any of the other questions other than mayor, councillor, trustee, you don't have to. Just leave it blank. It's not going to spoil your ballot or anything. Not going to spoil your ballot. It could be a little intimidating. Hey, I can just tell you, I just went to vote okay. a moment ago. I went and parked at 930, and I went in, answered all my questions, went through the process, and was out by 935. So no issues in my ward. Uh, steady stream of people, though. So we should see, I don't know, I'm, I'm betting the, the optimist in me would like to think that we're going to see a higher voter turnout yeah. this time, for sure. Um, and no lineups, no problems. Voting was easy as it could be, right? You did have to show ID, though. I did have to show ID with my address on it. Yeah, yeah. We do have to go through the proper protocols. And yeah, if you're prepared and knowing what you're going to vote for and answering all of those questions on the ballot, you're certainly certainly going to be in and out. Uh, no problem. Of course, we are hearing some issues, of course, in some of the other polling stations, but we'll track that throughout the day. Um, so Dallas, tell us about the coverage tonight. What can we expect to see? Where can we find it? I know there's internet, there's radio, there's television. There's a lot going on for you. There's a lot going on for sure. So we're going to have our regular shows, Global News at 5, and then Global News Hour at 6, and then our official election coverage is going to start at 8 p.m. right when those polls close. And that's going to go right up until 11 o'clock, and then you can continue watching us on Global News at 11. You can find us on Amazon Prime, globalnews.ca slash Calgary. Uh, of course, we're airing on the Global News Radio 770 CHQR in the city as well. And uh, we will have that all for you. We're looking forward to it. Uh, in terms of what I'm doing, I'm going to be joining uh, panelists, uh, your colleague Ted Henley from 770 CHQR, host of The Drive, Dr. Lisa Young, who you were just uh, talking to a few minutes ago, and Jason Ribeiro, who is a policy expert. I know we have uh, political analyst Jane Bratt joining us throughout the night as well. We've got a lot to break down because there are a lot of issues facing uh, this city for sure. Of course, we're still in a pandemic, and uh, we have an empty downtown core. We have property tax issues up the wazoo. So there's going to be a lot that this new mayor and council will have to deal with. Yeah, um, as you say, there are so many things in play with this election. What are you excited about? What will you be watching closely tonight? Well, every just the fact that we are going to see such a turnover, yeah. right? Because normally when you have an incumbent mayor, they are, in most cases, re-elected. And it has been 11 years since we've had a new mayor when uh, Mayor Nenshi got first elected back in 2010. So the race for the mayor's chair, seeing who the new faces are going to be on council, seeing if uh, some of those incumbent councillors are going to get knocked out of their seat as well, because there's been some issues there too.
Yeah, it's going to be a very, very interesting night. We will be tuned in. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning, Dallas, and uh, have a great show tonight. Yeah, you have a great rest of your show this morning, Shay. Thanks. Thanks, Dallas. That is Dallas, Dallas Flexhog, who is the co-host for Global News Morning and, as you heard, is an uh, integral piece of the puzzle tonight for the um, election night coverage. We're going to talk about an interesting undercover investigation by CBC's Marketplace looking into real estate agents and finding that they are breaking the law. Basically, what they're doing is steering potential home buyers away from homes where they would make less commission and steering them to ones where they would make more money. Let's get some insight on what's going on and what this investigation found now with Michael Walsh, who is a broker and real estate agent. Michael, thank you for your time this morning. Appreciate you joining us. Oh, hello. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, this um, this investigation obviously doesn't put um, your industry in the best light. Basically, what they're saying is um, realtors steering their customers to homes that not necessarily the best for the buyer, but the best for the realtor, right? Do I have that correct? That's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. And basically, what they're saying is if you buy this house, I get more commission. Well, they're not saying it, but that's their motivation. How common is this? Was this a surprise to you? Um, no, it's not a surprise to me, um, and I don't know how common it yeah. is, um, to tell you the truth, right? But <clears throat> it's, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, it, it's just a, a reality, I think, of, uh, of the business right now. Right? Why is that, do you think? Why is it, there, it just because things have been tough? I mean, we hear a lot of good news. No, and, not at all. Well, what, no, what, what's no. the reasoning in sort of the way the business is going in that direction? Well, I mean, it's, it's the law, right? Um, um, why... From my perspective, like why would an agent who is um, supposed to be working for the best interest of the buyer, right? Right. Why would that agent be allowed to accept any type of compensation from the agent who's working for the seller? Like to me, that makes no sense. It, that is that is the way it works. I'm not, I mean, I'm not dis, I'm not uh, dismissing that. Yeah. But it, I don't understand it. Right. It just doesn't make sense. But at the same time, um, you know, in in past dealings with realtors, I know if they can set it up to so-called double-end it, that's going to be the sure. target. If they can get a home where they're selling it and there's, their buyer is also paying them the commissions, that's the dream for a realtor, right? So, I mean, you're, that is the system. Uh, this, that is the system. You're right. That That's the system. Now, now in Ontario, the CBC did a, a documentary um uh, five years ago, something like that, um, where it was, again, undercover uh, and uh, hidden camera, and got uh, it spoke more to the issue that you just brought up, which is um, real estate agents trying to get both ends of the deal. Right. right. And, 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 like, an individual, like, an individual real estate agent cannot possibly advocate for opposing interest on the same transaction, right? Like physically impossible. So, um, um, so the laws in Ontario anyways were changed such that the same individual agent couldn't do that. But it was a bit of a, a hollow victory, I think for consumer advocates, because the contract for representation is between the consumer and the, um, the brokerage. brokerage. Yeah. Right? It's not between the consumer and the individual agent. 
the individual agent is either an employee of the brokerage or an independent contractor to the brokerage. But in any case, the the legal and contractual obligations are between the consumer and the brokerage. Where, right, so, I mean, yeah. is it actual legislation? Is it law? Is this illegal? Or is it just sort of a, a code of ethics that realtors are expected to operate by? Well, the code of ethics is actually part of the law. Okay, so you can... This is an illegal activity that's taking place. Um, yeah, it's... it's uh, steering is an illegal activity, and... Um, it's been identified as such by, uh, at least by in Ontario, by the regulators in Ontario. What's the fix, Michael? I mean, how do you, like you say, it's sort of built into the business in many ways. What's the fix to make sure this doesn't happen? Yeah, uh, the, the fix is to uh, uncouple commissions, basically. The fix is um, to make it illegal for um, the listing agent to offer any type of compensation to the buyer's agent, right? Um, You know, another way of putting that would be you could also make it illegal for the buyer's agent to accept any type of compensation from the listing agent. Um, But uh, that's, that's the fix, right? And in the United States, you know, the, the Department of Justice in the United States is all over this. The National Association of Realtors has Big, big, big problems right now. And lawsuits and all the rest, right? And there's class action lawsuits, and yeah, yeah, and all the rest. Yeah, it's, it's, um, the wagons are circling. Um, and, uh, in Canada, not so much, or at least if it's going on, it's so far behind the scenes that, you know, I don't know about it. Yeah, I just got a text from a listener saying, I've been a realtor for 16 years. It's a very, very small percentage of people that are actually doing this, and I would never do it. Um, But like you say, with that financial incentive there, it's sort of, you can understand why people would do it, right? There's a massive financial incentive. It's, I mean, we we work for money, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, And we also work for who pays us. Exactly, you know, too. So We all do. yeah, that's that's life, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, nice that the, the the person who texted in said that they they'd never do such a thing. Good on them. Um, that's, but that's not how to address this, right? The, the way to address this is not to say, "Hey, we should all play nice." The way to address this is to change the law. Yeah, to, to put the rules in place and to make them much more strict. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's how to change that. Is there is there motion towards doing that? Is that something that's underway? I mean, is there is there work being done on that front? Um, not in no. Canada, to my knowledge. Right, like the U.S. massive um, pressure, but not here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, and, and I mean, you can you can see that there's um the there's an incentive to keep the status quo. Sure, because it, it you know everybody in the industry. Um, the practitioners, rather, in the industry benefit, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, you, you know, I mean, my my, uh, you've got a you've got a uh, an agent like myself in uh, in Edmonton. His name is Brian Finley, right? And he um, only represents buyers. Right? Okay. So his brokerage, he has his own brokerage, as I do. I have my own real estate brokerage, and um, 
I've never, ever listed a property for sale. Okay. Right? I see what Um, you're saying, yeah. um, Not a lot of realtors will do that, though, Michael. Um... <laughs> I mean, like, how many literally yeah. will limit their business that way? Yeah, for sure. Um, you hit the nail on the head, right? That it's seen as limiting business. So, um, so I'm the only realtor in Ontario who operates that way. Yeah. Okay. Um, to my knowledge, Brian is the only realtor in Alberta. I might be wrong, um, and I don't know of others in Canada. It's a, it's a, uh, you know, I mean, everybody has their own. Sure. I haven't really talked to Brian about why he set it up the way he did, but I set my brokerage up the way I did because I wanted to be able to represent my clients during a negotiation. So for whatever they wanted to buy, I wanted to be able to take their side in the negotiation. Okay. Yeah. That does not and cannot happen if the um, buyer's agent works at the listing brokerage. Right? Sure. So yeah. if the buyer wants to buy the beautiful, you know, you know, home of their dreams, it happens to be listed at the same brokerage, quite possibly by an agent that the buyer's agent has never even met. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter. The legal obligations are such that the... Um, the listing brokerage is the same brokerage as the buyer's brokerage. Right. And so both agents involved um, are legally obligated to sort of remove themselves from the negotiation. And I didn't want to do that. Yeah. So I said, Hey, you know what? Um, I could work at, you know, a, um, a traditional real estate brokerage. But um, but then I'd be limited in the service that I could offer to uh, my clients who wanted to buy houses. Right? So so I set I set up my business. Uh, I set myself up as an independent brokerage and an independent agent, and um, and um, I represent buyers and only buyers. And because of that, there's no conflict of interest because I don't have any listings. Right, exactly, yeah. yeah right? it's, it's, it's very, very, very simple. Right? Yeah, it seems like it, um, but there's yeah. big financial incentive to not make it happen, as you say, Michael, and uh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Uh, interesting discussion. Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. Oh, you're, you're welcome, anytime at all. You bet. That is Michael sure. Walsh, who's a broker and real estate agent uh, in Ontario, and as, as he said, he's he's removed himself from the equation altogether, but... Uh, you know, a lot of you pointing, well, of course they do. They're, they're commission sales. They're going to try and, you know, make the most money as they can. But, um, you know, you enter into the agreement and the rules and, and, you know, the ethics that they are supposed to adhere to tell them that they're not allowed to do this. And if it's happening, it's against the law. It's called steering. They're supposed to be representing the buyer and saying this is, you know, here's your list of criteria and here's the budget that you're in and this is what meets it best, not... Um, there's other ones that meet it better, but I'm not going to make as much money on that deal. 
We're going to spend a couple of minutes here chatting about Facebook because we've talked a lot about Facebook and how um, there's all kinds of calls to regulate them and to get them to sort of uh, change some of the things that they do in light of the whistleblower testimony, um, you know, indicating that a lot of damage has been done and Facebook doesn't seem at all interested in dealing with it. So um, there's a, a train of thought that, you know, in Canada, we already have in place what we need to regulate Facebook. We can do this. It can happen. So let's chat with Taylor Owen now. Um, Taylor is the Beaverbrook Chair in Media Ethics and Communications, the founding director of the Centre for Media Technology and Democracy, and an associate professor at the Max Bell School of Public Policy at McGill. Taylor, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So when we take a look at this, you know, first of all, let's identify the key issues that were identified by Mm -hmm. um, the Facebook whistleblower. And I think, you know, a lot of that has been known to a lot of people Mm -hmm. for a long time, but she really sort of hammered home, you know, just how far gone this problem is and the way Facebook mm. feels about it. So what did you see as the major issues that we've learned in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. I mean, the, the first, as you mentioned, is knowledge of harm. I mean, people from outside who look at these companies, whether they be journalists or academics or civil society groups uh, who try and understand the effect of these platforms on society, have been identifying these harms for a decade. Yeah. This is not this is not new. We've heard these kinds of harms before, whether it's racial discrimination or effect on our kids or whatever it might be. Um, what's different here though is Francis Haugen revealed internal research which showed they knew about these harms. Because and it's important because every time these harms are brought up um, by people from the outside, um, they're just denied by the platforms themselves. Yep. Um, and we're accused of sort of not having the right data or whatever it might be. Well, of course, they have the data, and we now know they study it, and we now know they know that those harms existed. But there's a second piece that, that sort of goes a step further, I think, which is what do you do as a company when you have knowledge of these harms? And what she's demonstrated is that there's a tension inside the company between the things that they know they can do to minimize those harms and their profit yes. profit motive. And there's a tension between those two. And sometimes they side on the side of minimizing harm, and sometimes they side on the side of maximizing their profit model. And that is something that can be held accountable from the outside. And that is something we need, I think, as governments and as citizens is to really interrogate. Are they making that decision um, in ways that kind of align with our expectations? As a democratic society. Okay, so a lot of the talk when we talk about regulating Facebook is um, somehow blocking or removing hate speech and misinformation mm. and all the rest, which to me, I think, sounds almost impossible. I mean, they've got billions and billions of users. I don't know how you police that. You're saying we're talking about the wrong thing when we're talking about removing that kind of speech or dealing with that kind of speech? So the speech is the outcome of the company. The company produces speech. Yep. Um, by allowing us to speak freely and then them disseminating it in a way that that um, aligns with their, their business model. Um, and that you're right, the challenge with regulating speech is, one, the scale is, is astronomical. There's, there's, Facebook says there's 2.7 billion users on their platform that post 100 billion pieces of content a day in over 4,000 languages. Yeah. So the, moderating that is a fool's game, in my view not least of which because regulating speech is the hardest thing to regulate in a democratic society. Um, There's there's nuances in speech, there's language issues, there's rights issues, 
Um, so aside from just blatantly illegal speech, of which we have some in Canada, it's very difficult to decide on what speech should be removed and what shouldn't, let alone how and by whom. But instead, if you can get at that business model that's incentivizing this kind of speech, yeah. whether it be getting at the financial motives behind it, um, looking at where the company itself knows there's harm and is making that trade-off in a way that we we might not think is ideal, then that you can regulate. And we do that in other industries all the time. Um, we, we regulate big, complicated global companies all the time. Um, and to do so, you don't have to regulate speech. You can just regulate the business itself. So we already have a system in place that could be transferred over to Facebook as a business, not as a platform, but as a business. Um, I mean, not, how not, would it work? Not exactly, because, of course, these are new kinds of companies. Yeah. But, but we have incredibly intrusive regulations for the pharmaceutical sector, for example. We don't just trust a drug company to develop a drug. We make They have to share tens of thousands of pages of data about the testing of that drug before we release it out onto the public. We don't let hedge funds trade high-frequency trading, automated high-frequency trading systems without being overseen. We literally put people in those offices to make sure they're being run efficient, uh, um, responsibly. So we do intrusive things all the time to companies mm-hmm. when we recognize that the company both has a social benefit but also a real potential downside risk that we need to minimize. I think the same is the, the case here. The question I always have, though, is, you know, we're 10, 15 years into Facebook's existence mm-hmm. now, trying to do this after the fact. I mean, it would be so much easier if we had it up front, but um, how much yeah. more complicated is it trying to do something like this when it's already such a ubiquitous and invasive force? Well, I mean, I think it means for one, that calls to just get rid of these technologies are, are sort of missing the point here. These things are embedded in our societies. Um, but also calls for users just to stop using them are also misguided. Because right. it's very difficult to step away from something that's so embedded in our society, like, like these companies are. Um, but the benefit of them being embedded in our society, um, and, incre- and if we, especially if we ask for more data from these companies then we can actually understand the impact they're having on our society before we regulate them. If we'd started doing this 10 years ago, we would have got a lot more wrong because we just didn't know um, how this was going to play out. But now we know a lot more, and we could know way more if we actually demanded some transparency from them. Exactly, yeah. What about the fact that it is um, such an international entity? I mean, Canada can do what they want to do. Do we not need some international buy-in on this? I mean, for some things, for sure. I mean, I think... Um, if we're talking about tax policy, for example, so right. how, you, how much pa- tax should these companies pay? Well, the OECD has just agreed on like a common tax for all 30 or whatever countries in the OECD, um, and that probably makes sense, right? They shouldn't be paying different rates in every country, and it's, it's not very efficient. But some policies are national, I and mean, we have every right to govern companies that operate in our country um, how we choose to as a democratic society. We do it with other companies all the time. Companies, there's lots of global companies, um, and they have to abide by the laws in the countries in which they do business, and there's no difference here. Interesting. We have one set of rules for everyone on the Of planet, course, yeah, for sure. But of course, so would Coca-Cola. Um, <laughs> but that's not the case for them either. So, <laughs> Interesting. Okay, well, that's, that's, that's some positive news. I mean, we've got some things we can get to work on right away, and that, I think, you know, time is of the essence. So, uh, Taylor, thanks so much for walking us through that. I appreciate your time. Yep, my pleasure. Talk to you. That is Taylor Owen. 
who is um, a professor at the Max Bell School of Public Policy at McGill University and a scholar in media and ethics and uh, yeah, the whole Facebook issue. We'll see. Government's starting to talk. Charlie Angus, the uh, NDP MLA, was talking this morning about trying to regulate Facebook. So we'll see what comes of that, but certainly uh, increased scrutiny. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.